Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. This is Pentecost Sunday. Amen. Pentecost Sunday. What is that? Well, Pentecost means 50. And from the 50 days from the Passover was the celebration of Pentecost. And so uh, Pentecost Sunday is seven weeks from Easter. Easter was the day after uh, the Passover. And so uh, seven weeks is 49 days plus one, so that's 50 days. So today is seven weeks after Easter, and it's called Pentecost Sunday. This is the day when, of course, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And, uh, you know, the modern church world, well, even the, the, the uh, uh, church world uh, of antiquity, going back in all the centuries, they've celebrated Pentecost Sunday, but very few people really know what it's all about. They're, they're in, just for a simple classification, you could, you could do this differently, but uh, the church world, I, I want to speak of the church world in the, in the sense of the liturgical church. The liturgical church is, uh, it refers to those old line denominations of hundreds and hundreds of years old, you know, that are steeped in traditions and uh, rituals and, and, and uh, ceremonies and all the things, you know, that go on in, in those kinds of churches. And then there are the, the modern day evangelical churches that uh, are, 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 are more focused on uh, New Testament doctrine, not on traditions and so forth. And then you have churches like ours that are Pentecostal churches. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, the, the person of the Holy Spirit and understanding the Holy Spirit, liturgical churches in their doctrine, in their in their statement of faith, their creeds are mostly good because they've existed for a long, long time. So if you read their, their, their statement of faith or their doctrine or their creed, uh, mostly they're good. But in practice, their tradition has killed the spirit. They observe so many other things. And so the, even the things that they're doctrinally right about, very often they don't have the real experience of those things. In liturgical churches, for instance, you almost never hear about the new birth. They don't generally give invitations for people to come, quote unquote, to be saved or to be born again and so forth. They, they don't, they don't, People in those churches very often never even, they've lived and died their entire life, never even heard the new birth. Or if they heard about born again, they think it's some kind of fanatic, an extremist, you know, theology. And it's critical New Testament truth. And and I'm not saying that everybody in those churches are like that. Uh, I'm sure in all of those denominations and in those churches, there are people who love God, who are hungry for God, and they actually read their Bibles. They don't, they don't, they're not so taken with all of the ritual and traditions and all the ceremonies. They actually be, believe their, read their Bible and believe. And I, and I'm, and I'm convinced there are many people that are genuinely saved. In there, but generally speaking, the liturgical churches have lost. If you're not, if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, fill the Holy Spirit, you will lose your your grasp on truth. And so, those churches, just because they don't they don't practice these things and know about them, they've lost their fire. Then you come over into more what we call evangelical churches. I, I would consider in this, maybe not in this classification technically, but let's just lump them together. And I'm, I'm going to call a name, but I'm not being critical. Let's say the Baptist type churches, people that have a, a strong salvation message, put it that way. 
strong salvation message. Uh, they believe uh, uh, adamantly in the new birth and, and they have a very good doctrine and a, and a good, em- not just doctrine, but an emphasis on leading people to make a public confession and actually have a, an on-purpose faith in Christ and are born again. And, 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 and that's wonderful. In most of those churches, though, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and his work is, uh, their doctrine is not really according to the New Testament. And I'll explain that. Uh, what do most people believe about the Holy Spirit in, in these kinds of churches? Most people believe that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. This is what they, this is the significance of Pentecost in most of these churches. They believe that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and that's when the church was born. They trace the beginning of the church to the day of Pentecost. And that's the day people were born again and the Spirit came and inhabited them. They don't see the Holy Spirit within them in the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, as a second separate experience. They believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the conversion experience. It is the new birth experience. And they say on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and and filled the church and that's when the church began. But the church, the body of Christ is made up of people who have been born again. That's what, that's, that's what creates the body of Christ. When the first person after the resurrection believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now go to Romans chapter, don't turn there, but you know Romans chapter 10. I'm saying go, go in your thinking. Romans chapter 10, if you shall confess, this is verse 9 and 10, if you confess uh, the Lord Jesus with your mouth, confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. So you believe that God raised him from the dead and, and obviously you believe he's the Christ, the son of God, and, the, and you confess him as Lord, you shall be saved. Well, uh, as, the, as soon as the first person did that, they met the qualifications and they were saved. So that happened before the day of Pentecost. And so the body of Christ existed, but, uh, what does it say over in in uh, in in First uh, Thessalonians? No, Titus. Titus. It says, "For not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His grace and mercy, He saved us uh, uh, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost." The Holy Spirit is the agent in the new birth. When a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that takes that person and baptizes them into Christ. It's not water baptism. It's it's baptism into Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in that person at that point. So what happened on the day of Pentecost was something in addition to that because believers were already present on the day of Pentecost. They were born again. Now, if you look at the disciples... You can see that uh, right after Jesus was raised from the dead, they were clearly not saved. Not in the New Testament sense. I won't, I won't look at all, or have you look at all the scriptures, but I'll just give you the references. John chapter 20, verse 19, says that uh, the, the disciple, when I say the disciples here, I'm talking about the, the, the 11 apostles. You know, Judas Iscariot had committed suicide, so there were 11 apostles left. And it says that they were in fear, they were in hiding for fear of the Jews. Well, that, that's, that's, in other words, why were they afraid of the Jews? Because had they stolen something from the temple? No. They were afraid of the Jews because they had, the Jews had crucified Christ and they were his followers. 
They were, they were afraid that somebody would find out that they knew Jesus. And so they were hiding out. That's not salvation character. Okay. That's not, not only that, it says that in, in Mark sixteen ten during that time, they were in mourning and weeping, not the joy of the Lord. Amen. And then thirdly, on the resurrection day, the 11 apostles outright rejected the gospel because the women who went to the tomb Easter morning, there were two angels there that said, you know, why, why seek the living among the, uh, uh, among the dead? You know, he's not here. He's been, he's been raised from the dead. And, uh, they went back and eagerly went back to the 11 and were so excited. We've, we've seen these angels and, and Jesus went to the tomb. He's not there. And the, we saw these angels and they said, he's been raised from the dead. You know what? It says in Mark 16, verses 9 through 13, they did not believe them. Now, what were those women doing? They were preaching the gospel. Is that not the gospel? Jesus is alive. He's been raised from the dead. They were preaching the gospel. And incidentally, there are people who believe that, God, that women can't preach. That it's wrong to have women preachers. The very first gospel preachers were a bunch of women. <laughs> Amen. And, and the leaders of the church, of, of the would-be church, rejected them. They did not believe. That same day, there were two uh, disciples, because it talks about the 11 and others. There were others there with the 11. And two of those others were from Emmaus. And so on their way, they were walking to Emmaus, which is seven miles away. While they were on their journey to Emmaus, Jesus walked up. They, they didn't know who it was, you know. And uh, they had been talking about all the things that have taken place in Jerusalem. Jesus' crucifixion, all of that. And so Jesus walked up and he said, he said, what is it that you've been talking about walking along here? And you're all sad and, and uh, you know, down in the mouth and frowning. He said, you're all sad about this. So they weren't saved. They were all sad. They didn't even know Jesus had been raised from the dead. So while they walked, you know, he began to tell them, you know, rehearse from Moses, all the things about himself. So when they got to their house, Jesus acted like he was going to go on. And they said, no, come and, you know, stay with us. It's almost evening, you know, just before evening. So Jesus went in and so they were eating, you know, the story and breaking bread. And while he, when Jesus broke the bread, he revealed himself to them and then disappeared. And they realized, why? Wait a minute. That was Jesus. He's alive. And he was, he, he wasn't a ghost. He was eating with us. So they jumped up and headed back to Jerusalem. And it's almost evening, you know. And so I, I imagine they probably ran. It's a whole seven miles to get there. I don't know. It doesn't say that, but I would have. Well, they come into to where the, where the 11 are with this good news. Now, the 11 had already rejected the gospel once that day. When the women came, these guys come in and said, we have seen the Lord Jesus. He's alive. We've seen him. They would not believe. It said they didn't believe him. Neither did they believe these two. So they rejected the gospel twice on Easter. (laughs) On Easter. So they were unsaved. Isn't that right? When Jesus did appear to them, then later that evening... At first, they still didn't believe him. 
At first they thought he was a ghost and they were terrified, not faith. And Jesus said, Hey guys, it's me. Calm down. It's me. I'm not a ghost. He said, look at my hands. Feel me. I'm, I'm flesh and bone. A ghost doesn't have substance like this. And then it says, after that, it says they still did not believe for joy and amazement. You know, joy and amazement's a wonderful thing, but it's not faith. Faith is not an emotion. There are people who get excited about the things of God. That doesn't mean they're saved. Well, four people agree with that. There are pe- you can have people that can be excited and amazed at something and still faith is a personal decision that a person makes. I was reading something this week from a missionary that I, that I know of. I don't know her personally, <clears throat> but she ministers over in, in, in the Polynesian islands. And, uh, and she had a picture of her son, 10 years old, and he had just in this picture just recently had made a personal decision for Christ. Now he grew up in a minister's home, but he had had finally come to the recognition and made a personal, you know, faith in Christ is a personal decision. And even after Jesus said, look, here I am, it's me. It says they still did not believe for, for joy and amazement, but evidently they came around. Praise the Lord. If you go to John 20 with me, Glory to God. John 20. You get all this detail in other, in other passages. It starts in verse number 19. Uh, when, he, when he said this, verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. And uh, hold your place there. Let me, let me go look at something real quick. Yeah, and uh, I said this this morning, but I wanted, I, I just kind of said it and then I thought, I better check this out. When, when they first didn't believe, they thought he was a ghost. He said, I have flesh and bone here. I'm, I'm, I'm physical, you can see. And he said, give me some Cheerios. He did say that. See, in Luke chapter 24, so they gave him, he showed them his hands and his feet this is Luke 24, verse 41. While they still not, did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, do you have any food? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. It was honeycomb, honeycomb Cheerios. So. It's just a little joke. Just a small one, but I thought it was kind of cute. And he took it and he ate in their presence. So they believed. So let's go back to, to uh, I'll stop my comedy routine, go back to John 20. So when he said this, he showed them, verse 20, his hands and his feet. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Nobody was wearing a mask. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this was not the baptism with the Holy Spirit because after... You know, we we talked about the fact that Jesus was with them after his resurrection for 40 days. This happened on Easter night. He stayed with them 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And one of the last things he said before he ascended into heaven is tarry in Jerusalem until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So this wasn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, you, he, at, at that time, right before he left, he said, you will be baptized. You'll find this in, in first chapter of Acts. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, 10 days is not many days. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit 10 days later on the day of Pentecost. Well, this is back at, at, at Easter, the night of Easter. And so when he breathed on them, this wasn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This was the Holy Spirit in the new birth. Again, we are saved by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent that, that takes a person who is dead in trespasses and sins. When as an act of their will, they choose to believe, put their faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one that actually recreates their spirit and imparts eternal life to them. And the Holy Spirit then moves in to take up residence on the inside of them. So that's what happened this day. And so, uh, so they got, they got born again. Now, you can, you can tell that they were born again. People that hold that, that the church started on the day of Pentecost, if the church started on the day of Pentecost, then nobody was saved till the day of Pentecost. Because you couldn't have been, you couldn't have been born again and not be in the church. So if that's the case, if they say people uh, were, were, were only born again on the day of Pentecost, well, what happened to these disciples? Is there any evidence that they got saved? Well, they were, they were in mourning, Weeping, fearful, unbelief, rejecting the gospel. But then at the last, after this happens to them, it says in, uh, in Luke's gospel 24, that before, after Jesus ascended in heaven, they were continually in the temple, Acts 24, last verse of the, of the, of the, of the chapter of the book, I think. They were continually in the temple praising and thanking God. Well, something happened because they were hiding from the Jews. Now they're right out in public. You know, when a person is genuinely, genuinely born again, he'll be public about it. He's not ashamed of Christ. Amen. He, they, they, were, they were continually, not just once in a while, they were there. In, the, in other words, they were there all the time. They just stayed in the temple continually, praising, thanking God out loud. And they knew the Jews had killed their Savior. Something transformable had happened in their lives. It was the new birth. They were born again. Not only that, there's another evidence of their salvation. In Acts chapter 1, before the day of Pentecost, it said that for these 10 days that the disciples, including the apostles, but all of them, there was 120 of them, not everybody, but 120 at least, were there in the upper room. And it says that they, that they were there in, in, in one accord, in prayer and supplication, in one accord for 10 days. Now, you can get unbelievers together for 10 days, but they usually aren't praying. <laughs> and you can't even get half the church today to come together in one accord. So the fact that they were in one accord, they had a history of not being in one accord. If you remember the gospels, you know, and the, and the, and the disciples, and the apostles, there was all of this, uh, you know, uh, uh, jockeying for position and one trying to be better than the other. And, and, uh, I said this this morning, you know, even John, beloved John, the man of love, you know, even when he wrote his gospel, he had to get it, put a dig in on Peter. You know, they ran to the temple, to the, to the tomb. And it says he whom the Lord loved outran Peter. Just put a little salt in, just rub it in. I'm, he was younger, evidently, and Peter lagged. You know, he, who loved, he whom the Lord loved outran Peter. And then he, the he whom the Lord loved was so sanctified, when he got to the, t to, the, to the entrance to the tomb, he stopped 
because he was such a reverent person and bowed his head. But old impetuous Peter, you know, he just finally called up and ran right in there like he always does. So there was not always unity, okay? There was very little unity. There was all of this gangmanship going on. But after they got born again, there was a spirit of unity among them. So there is evidence that something dramatic changed in their life. Thank God for that change. We used to sing this song when I was growing up. Oh, what a change in my life. I don't know if I sang it growing up or in in charismatic days. You know, oh, what a change in my life when Jesus came. We used to sing that. Well, it is a big change. But Jesus didn't think it was enough. He told them who had had this change and had, had joy now and constantly praising God. He said, now you need more. You need more. This is the title of my message, I forgot to tell you, is what a change Pentecost makes. What a change Pentecost. What a change salvation makes, but what a change Pentecost makes. They were genuinely saved and and born again and full of joy and not ashamed and in unity. They had the, they had because of the spirits in, in dwelling in them, they had the, the fruit of the spirit exhibited in their lives. But Jesus said, boys, you got to have something else. This is not enough. He said, now the next big thing is you need to wait in Jerusalem because I have something from the father. He said, the promise of the Father that I told you about. Jesus had already told them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, the promise of the Father, which I've told you about, is going to take place not many days from now. So they were in anticipation of something happening. They had already experienced the new new birth. And it was, like I said, it was transformative. But Jesus said, something else is going to happen. Oh, glory to God. And so we know what happened on the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, when that 50 days from from Passover had fully come, they were there in one accord, in one place. And the Bible, you know what happened. The Holy Spirit fell on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That is a separate experience, an additional experience from what happens when you're born again and the Spirit comes to live on the inside? This is when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit. It describes it. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Oh, glory to God. Well, that was transformative too. Because Jesus said, here's why you need to wait. Because you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You see, there is, there is the salvation and that's wonderful. We, we, we would not, we would not uh, underestimate or minimize or, or denigrate or, or anything. The, the, the experience of being born again, it's so critical and wonderful. And we're not going to heaven without it. And thank God we're not without it. And pa- Pastor Greg said the ones in the late service are going ahead of the ones in the early service. But, but, but just kidding, of course. Uh, But there is an experience that brings a measure of power in your life that doesn't come when you're born again. Otherwise, why have another experience? Jesus didn't say you have received power being born again. He said to those who were born again, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Oh, glory to God. What's it for? Well, he talked about it in in, uh, uh, Mark chapter 16. Go over there with me, Mark 16. And I'll try to finish this up for too long here. Mark 16. 
Now, in Luke's gospel, we have him, we have the record that he told them to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until they were clothed upon with power from on high. What was that power? It was the Holy Spirit. You know that Luke, you know, he wrote Luke, and so the 24th chapter of Luke and the first chapter of Acts, he wrote the book of Acts as well. Those two are basically a continuation. They, 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 uh, 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 they're part and parcel of each other. It's just a continuation of the same story. Well, Mark records that, that uh, story here. He said, go into all the world. This is in Mark 16. And uh, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. All of these signs are power signs. These are things that, that, that you don't have just as a result of being born again. He said, in my name, they will cast out demons. Well, glory to God. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. Now, now, now they take up serpents. Uh, does that mean some people hold this doctrine that you're supposed to go out, you know, and they, they go to church and they bring snakes and then they take them out and they pass the snakes around. That's not what that's talking about. Now, it does say they will take up serpents. So that's where those churches get that doctrine from. The problem is there's no other, you know, there's a, there's a Bible principle of interpretation and it's, the, and it's the, uh, the, the, the principle of two or three witnesses. You see that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. You, you do not build a doctrine on one verse of Scripture. This is the only place where it suggests that you would intentionally pick up a serpent. Now, now if, you only, if this was the only passage, it would sound like, well, I'm supposed to cast out devils, I'm supposed to speak with tongues, I'm supposed to take up serpents. So find me a, 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 a demon and find me somebody sick and find me a snake. But that's this. see these other passages, laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, uh, all of that, speaking with tongues. We have other places in the scriptures that corroborate that. But where it comes to the, to the picking up serpents, the only explanation, the only other scripture of anybody picking up a, a serpent was the apostle Paul, uh, you know, when he was on the way to, to, to Rome, he accidentally, he didn't actually, he didn't pick up a serpent. He picked up some, some sticks and the serpent fastened its, its fangs into him and he shook it off into the fire and felt no, no uh, bad effect of it. That has to be the meaning of this because scripture interprets scripture. I said this morning, besides that, I'm going to have to have more than one scripture to pick up a snake. I'm probably going to have to have more than two scriptures to pick up a, a, a viper, a, a poisonous snake. I might want more than three. I don't know. But no, you have to have, you have, to have scripture, a, a balance of scripture. So evidently in the physical and the natural realm, this taking up serpents has to be accidentally taking up serpents. And notice the next few words. They will take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. That, that's, that's something that if, if it happens. So that, that rest of that sentence gives, gives weight to and, and enhances the, the meaning here that it's accidentally picking up serpents. Well, praise the Lord. If you, if you accidentally pick up a serpent uh, or if you drink anything deadly, I'm not saying go out and try it. Amen. It will by no means hurt you. If you accidentally pick up COVID-19, it will by no means hurt you. Come on now. 
glory to God. I don't care if I get it. I really don't care. I'm not, you know, as a Christian and as a, as a word of faith guy, you know, I'm, I, I, we're always saying I'm never going to be sick, but I really don't care because I'm, I, I'm, I'm not going to let that thing rule me no matter what happens. I'm not going out to, to a place where there's a bunch of COVID people and just, you know, wanting to be in their fellowship, you know, but I'm not afraid either. That's what I'm saying. They will lay hands on the sick, COVID included, and they will recover. Praise God. Well, my question is, uh, what were these, why, why were these signs given? It's, it, these signs come by power. This is the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why we're baptized with the Holy Ghost so that we'd have this power. Amen. If you reach, read on down there, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down on the right hand of God. They went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. What accompanying signs? Wouldn't it be the signs he just talked about? Wouldn't it be the signs of casting out devils, speaking with other tongues, take accidentally taking up serpents, uh, laying hands on the sick? Wouldn't that be the sign since it's in the next two verses down? Well, notice... The Lord worked with them, confirming the word through the casting out of devils, through the speaking with other tongues, through the laying hands on the sick, through immunity from sickness and disease and, 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 and poison and such. He confirmed the word through the signs he just mentioned. And those signs are a result of Pentecost. That's how they got that power. Well, that's what happened to you when you were baptized in the Holy Ghost. You were not baptized in the Holy Ghost just so you could speak with other tongues. Now, we put, a, we put an emphasis on that because according to the New Testament pattern, the first thing that happens when people are filled with the Holy Spirit is they begin to speak with other tongues. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, other places it's alluded to. But those places that specifically say, as soon as they were baptized in the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues. So we expect that to happen immediately. So it is what we call the initial evidence. But it's not the only evidence. Casting out devils is an evidence. Laying hands on the sick is an evidence. See, that's what happens when a person gets filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with power. And boldness comes into your life. Glory to God. Now, you don't just go around, you know, casting devils out of people just because you don't like their behavior. I I see some people sometimes I think, he's got to have a devil. He, he surely has a demon, but I don't cast the, the demon out unless the Holy Spirit comes on me. This is something you do by the anointing, by the, by the, the, the move of the spirit. It's, it's actually operates in the gifts of the spirit to do that. And so, uh, but those things are available. I have cast devils out of people. I have cast demons out of people and they came out and they acted crazy too, but they came out. They didn't have any, they didn't have any choice, but to come out, they have to come out. When you, when you minister and call them out in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Ghost, they're coming out. Well, so I'm not saying go out and try it, but on the other hand, are you open to it? Amen? Are, are you open to the power? That's the thing I'm trying to get across to you today is we didn't get baptized with the Holy Ghost just so we could talk in tongues. We got baptized with the Holy Ghost so that we could have power in our life. Glory to God. To be a powerful witness. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Acts 1, 8 says, and you shall be witnesses for me. That's what, that's why the Holy Spirit was poured out. Glory to God. Glory to God.
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.